Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see all of you here, and it is great to have all of you online this morning as well. Um, it, it's been a, a crazy time that we're in, and I am just glad that we have some folks here in the auditorium, and we've got many, many more from across the country who are actually joining us online this morning. So wherever you may be, I just want to welcome you to our services here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. It's kind of a gloomy day. It's kind of rainy out, but uh, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. It's great to spend some time in the Word this morning, and I can think of no better way to start our week than to be together. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Now, we have been talking about a series called Building Resilient Faith, and this series has been all about how do we raise up truly resilient disciples. And this is important not only during these kind of crazy uh, uncertain times that we find ourselves in, but this is something that's super important all of the time. Whether we're in the middle of a pandemic or not, this is something that we really have to focus on. And in just a little bit, we are going to look at some more statistics of why this is important and why we really need to take this seriously as Christians and as a church. So, um, last week, we kind of wrapped up the building the muscles of cultural discernment, which again was just kind of how do we begin to think and act and behave like Christians. And today, we're going to transition into the next aspect of building resilient faith, and that is building meaningful intergenerational relationships. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, and that's where we're going to spend our focus this morning. So I hope you brought your Bibles with you, because we are going to spend some time in the Word this morning and look at some pieces of Scripture, but we're going to talk a lot today about relationships. Now, last week, as you remember, we kind of focused on feelings, and we focused on the fact that our feelings are great and they're important, but they shouldn't affect how we live, and it shouldn't be the basis for how we live, because we live by God's design, not by what our feelings or our thoughts or our opinions are. So that's kind of where we left off last week, and if you missed it, you're welcome to catch that on the live stream from last week, and that'll get you all caught up. But we're going to talk about a couple of things today. Maybe. All right, there we are. So we've got two key words, and these are two key words that are becoming more and more prevalent in our society today for a few different reasons. Not just because, again, that we're in the middle of this, this COVID-19 thing, but this is something that's becoming a trend now more than ever, and that's isolation, which to me seems a little bit strange because we now have technology that allows us to be more connected than ever before. We have text messages, and we have emails, and we have FaceTime, and we have social media, and we have Skype, and we have all these different ways to stay connected, yet statistics show people are feeling isolated now more than ever. And again, this is not just because of the pandemic. This is just a trend that we have found ourselves in where people are feeling isolated. And the other thing they're feeling is mistrust. And I don't think that one's as hard to understand because right now, People don't know who and what to trust anymore. See, we used to think we could trust certain things. We used to think that we could trust our government. And I'm not here to talk politics, but we don't have a lot of trust left in our government. We don't have a lot of trust left in leadership. And we're getting to a point with everything that's been going on in our world where we don't even trust each other anymore. So I want you to really think about that this morning as we unpack this idea of building relationships. The, the, the premise is that people are feeling more isolated and more mistrustful than ever before in our society. And that's where we're going to kind of frame out today's lesson. I want you to think about the relationships in your life and who your friends are. 
And that's at school and at work and at church and in the community. And I want you to really think about people that you truly have a relationship with. It reminds me of, uh, what was it, Sesame Street? Who are the people in your neighborhood? That, that's kind of where we're going with this, right? Who is our community? Who are our relationships with, and why is that so important? And that's what we're going to look at here today. So I want you to start thinking through this in your mind of who are the important relationships in my life? Who are the people that are truly pouring into my life? And hopefully that's your support system, right? That's your family and that's your close friends. And hopefully that's your brothers and sisters here at church. But I want you to start thinking through those relationships that you have. And then a little bit later on, we're going to look at what's called the relationship map that allows us to really think about who that circle of influence that we surround ourselves with. So let's look at a definition. Because if we don't understand what we're talking about, then, then all of this doesn't really make sense. But our definition of building intergenerational relationships is being devoted to fellow believers who we enjoy spending time with and who lies we want to emulate. In other words, they are the people that we want to be around and to become. Maybe an easier way to say this is these are the people that you want to do life with. And I hope that you find that here in our church and I know things are a little bit different right now, and we're not able to be together as much as we would like to, and maybe in the ways that we'd like to. But I want you to really think through, who are those people that you want to be more like? And I'm not saying you have to be them, because we're not called to be like other Christians, right? We're called to be like Christ. But who are those people that you would want to emulate some of the things that maybe they have going for them? And what I mean by that is maybe you know people who have a really solid prayer life, and that's what you want. Because maybe that's something that's lacking. Or you know some people that, spend, that are really good with biblical knowledge, and they spend a lot of time in the Word, and they, they just know a lot. And you say, you know what? I'd like to be more like that. I'll give you an example. Uh, Glenn Roberts. As you guys know, he can quote the Bible like no other, right? And that's an amazing, just, it's a gift that he has that I don't have. But I would love to be more like him in the fact that I would love to be able to quote Scripture the way that he quotes Scripture. My grandfather was the same way. My grandfather growing up was a preacher in the Church of Christ for many, many, many years. And he could just quote verse after verse after verse, whole chapters at a time. Now, that obviously skips generations because I didn't get that gift. But, but my point is, who are those people that are doing things or that have gifts that you would like to emulate and you would like to be more like that help you to be closer to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about, not only today, but for the next couple of weeks. So let's take a step back because we haven't looked at this in a couple of weeks. And I want to remind you of why this whole idea of building resilient disciples is so important. Because remember, we've got four categories. Now, just in case you have forgotten, because it's been a few weeks, this comes from the Barna research, right? And these are people who grew up in the church, okay? 22% of those have become what they call prodigals, which means that they have walked away from the church and have not come back. And these people don't, don't even consider themselves Christians anymore. If they're filling out a survey that says your religion, they're going to put other or none. We've got your nomads, which is 30% of those people who grew up in the church. And those are people who have gone off and just kind of wandered. And they come back from time to time, but they're not engaged in a church community. And they, they consider themselves Christians as opposed to other religions, but they're not really engaged. 
Next, you've got 38%, which is your habitual churchgoers. Now, those are the people that pretty regularly attend church, but there's just something missing there. They don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. They aren't that resilient disciple, but they're checking the boxes, right? They come to church, they, you know, maybe they go to Bible study once in a while, but they're just not taking that next step in their faith to really be a Jesus follower. And then we've got 10%, and the 10% is the resilient disciples. And that's why we're looking at this whole idea of resilient disciples, because 10% of people that grew up in the church is too low. Do you agree with me? 10% is too low. We need to figure out how do we move that bar from 10% to 20% to 30% to 40% and beyond. Because, see, we can't just keep going through the motions and not actually investing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let's look at three truths. This generation has grown up in the most corporate expression of the local church since it began. And what do I mean by corporate? What I'm talking about is a lot of churches, and I'm not talking about our church necessarily, but a lot of churches have gotten so wrapped up in corporate worship that it's become more about flash and show than it has about building relationships with Jesus Christ. And I think that the church, and I'm talking about the church in general, again, I'm not talking about our church, but the church in general has gotten wrapped up in this, we've got to have laser lights, and we've got to have this huge stage, and we've got to have this production, and we've got to have this entertainment value, that we've forgotten about what the whole reason that we're coming to church is in the first place. The second thing is, churches have lost their influence in the local community. There was a time where the church was kind of the focal point of the local community. And I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. I hope that it is, and I pray that it is, and I pray that our church here, the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, is making a difference in our community. And I would hope that if for some reason, God forbid, we had to close our doors, I would hope that the community at large would miss us and would say, oh man, that's a shame, I hate to see that happen. And we are doing some great community outreach things, right? We've got our, our, our food pantry, we've got our comfort cafe, we've got some different ways that we are reaching out to our community to help our community. But the local church in general has kind of lost that community feel where they're out in the community, where people know them, where people see something that they want to be a part of. And the last one, and this is the one that's really disturbing, is this generation is the first to form their I identities, and their perceptions of church amid high-profile sexual abuse scandals and sky-high levels of church skepticism. You don't have to look very far to see these things. One of these things sadly happened right down the street from us at a church. It's been all over the news. I'm not telling you anything you didn't already know. But this next generation of young people who are coming up through the church, they see this. And see, this leads to that mistrust that we're talking about. Because when people that are high profile, that they think they should be able to look up to and they think they should trust, do things like this, it makes them go, if that's what the church is, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. And unfortunately, with social media and news and everything else that we have, where everything is at our fingertips on our phone, when things like this happen, they're everywhere, and everybody hears about it, and everybody knows about it. So these are some truths that kind of frame, right, what we're talking about here. 
Is this next generation, these are the kinds of things that are important to them, and these are the kinds of things that they're seeing, and these are some truths in their world right now. It can be a long, hard road, and I apologize, the slide says load, and I did not catch that. But it can be a long, hard road to find meaningful relationships in this day and age. Meaningful relationships. So you may have a thousand followers on Instagram, or a thousand friends on Facebook, or a thousand friends on Snapchat. And, and it's like this game, right? How many can I get? And I, and I hear the kids in the youth group talking about all this all the time. Well, how many followers do you have? Well, how many followers do you have? Hey, my video got X number of likes. How many did yours get? But are those meaningful relationships? Are they really important at the end of the day? Because, see, those aren't meaningful relationships. I have over 1,000 followers on Facebook. Couldn't tell you who half of them are. Those aren't meaningful relationships, and nor are they designed to be, because social media isn't designed to foster meaningful relationships. But, but you get what I'm saying. is we, We're in this society where it's like we have a lot of friends and a lot of acquaintances, but do we really have meaningful relationships that are going to help us follow Jesus better? And that's what we're talking about. So let's look, at, let's look at some more research. And again, this is from the Barna Research. You can find this. You can look this up if you'd like. But these are some staggering statistics. When we look at, the, these are statements, okay? These are statements that they put out, and then they ask people, how strongly do you agree? 88% of resilient disciples agree that they feel like they belong in the local church. 88%. Look over one column to the habitual churchgoers who are only at 43%. That's a staggering number. Drop down one, and this is relationships. And what this is talking about is this is talking about relationships within the church, that they strongly feel that they have relationships in the church with people that are going to help them to see Jesus. 85% of resilient disciples agreed with that statement. Connections. Do they truly have connections in the church at, 83, at 82%? Adults. And when I say adults, it's only because I didn't have enough room to type the whole thing in there. But what this is talking about is, did I have adults in my church that I had a relationship with as I was growing up? And that number drops down to 77%. But look all the way over at the prodigals. Remember, these are the people that walked away and said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this thing you call church anymore. 27%. They didn't have adults in their church pouring into them and building relationships with them. So they walked away. The next one is how many people admired their parents' faith? And Resilient Disciples is at 72%. Now, I was very fortunate to grow up in a Christian home where both of my parents showed me a great example of faith. But not everybody has that. But 72% of people said, of resilient disciples said, I admired my parents' faith. Parents out there, take a good hard look at this one. Take a good hard look at this one. Are you showing faith to your kids that make them look up to you, that make them say, that's an example of a Jesus follower? Are, are you raising up kids that see your marriage and say, that's what a Christian marriage looks like and that's how I'm going to treat my spouse one day? 
See, we have that responsibility as parents, right? We've got to not only teach our children, but we've got to set the example for our children as well. And the last one is emotional closeness. Do we have emotional closeness to the people in our church? It drops down to 64%. So what's the bottom line with this research that we're looking at? Is meaningful relationships in the church equal resilient disciples? Meaningful relationships equal resilient disciples. You can see the research. These aren't my words. These aren't my numbers. I didn't make these up. This is research that says that resilient disciples had meaningful relationships in their life and in their church, and primarily from adults in their church. Resilient disciples are part of churches where their churches are warmer and more positive than what others experience. And I think this is something that we do fairly well, because I get that feedback from our guests that say, it felt like home, it felt like a family. So I think we're doing a good job of this, but this is what resilient disciples say. They say, the church that I grew up in fostered this feeling inside of me that made me want to be there. It says, if we want to raise up resilient disciples, we can't just come to get what we need and walk away and then do it all again the next week. See, we can't just keep going through the motions, guys. We can't just keep coming to church and saying, okay, check the box, I went to church, and I'm going to go out the side door as soon as it's over and get out of here as quickly as I can. Because that, that almost defeats the whole purpose of us being here, right? Because we're here to lift each other up, to build each other up, and to form those relationships with one another so that we can help each other see Jesus. And if you want examples, you can look throughout the Bible. And I, and I put blank one another because you, you can fill in the blank there. Love one another, pray for one another, be there for one another over and over throughout the Bible, one another. Forgive each other. Now, why did I put that on there? Because, because when the Bible says we need to forgive each other, that implies that we have relationships with people, right? Because I don't have to forgive somebody I don't have a relationship with, but it implies that we're doing life together, and at times we're going to have to ask for forgiveness from each other. But again, that, if we weren't doing life together, we wouldn't have to ask for forgiveness. So the Bible says forgive each other. It also says... Outdo one another. Paul says this, that we're to outdo one another when it comes to doing good works, when it comes to showing honor to others. It's this relationship that is so important. So there's two, there's two types, right? There's two signposts, if you want to call it that. One is aspirational, right? Aspirational is what you aspire to or what you hope to have, right? And one is reality-based. So let's take a look at aspirational says, the church represents the best example of what God can do with human community. So where are we at with that one? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Because that's something that's going to be individual to each of us. But that's what we desire to be. That's what we aspire to be. So let's look at some scripture. Let's look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This is going to be in 1 Corinthians 1. And verse 10. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, it's also on the screen for you. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Again, he's saying you got to have those relationships right? With people who are like-minded with you. 
That's us, guys. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about forming these, these bonds and these relationships where we can do life together. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. It doesn't say live in peace by yourself. See, God didn't design it that way. God didn't design us to live alone. If he did, why would he have put Adam and Eve in the garden? Why do we see throughout scripture, why, why did he bring churches together in the first place if that was the case? We're not designed to do life alone, but yet more and more people are feeling isolated. And that's why this is so important that we look at building these truly, truly meaningful relationships. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, he's walking us through how to have these relationships. He's explaining to us what these relationships should look like. We bear with each other, right? We don't always agree. We don't always have to agree. But how do we disagree as Christians? We're seeing a lot of this right now, right? Because you've got the people that want to wear masks and the people that don't want to wear masks, and they're fighting each other about it. And you've got the people that are supporting one candidate and the people that are supporting the other candidate. And they're fighting about it. And it gets downright ugly. There are people that think COVID-19 is all a hoax. And there are people that have had it happen to them or their families that are saying, no, absolutely not, it's real. And that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. But how do we disagree? Are we still showing Jesus? Are we still showing love? Because the Bible tells us to bear with each other. It doesn't say fight everybody. It doesn't say argue with everybody. It doesn't say you have to be right at all times. No, it says bear with one another. So sometimes we just have to agree to disagree and say, but you know what? I still love you as my brother and sister in Christ, even though we don't agree on things. But Paul is trying to show us what relationships should look like. Because remember, this is the early church. This is the forming of the early church. And they he talks over and over about relationships and unity. And see, we've got to be unified with one another. Let's look at reality-based. Let's just be honest. Relationships are never perfect. As much as we would like to think that they are. With our spouses, with our children, with our friends, with our family, with our in-laws, relationships are not perfect. And it's the same within the church. Relationships are not going to be perfect. Everybody in the church is not going to be your best friend. As much as maybe we would like that to be, it's just not the case. Because they're not easy and they're not perfect. But that's okay. They don't have to be. This is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it says, We don't merely bear one another's burdens. It says, The true burden is bearing one another. There may be some truth in that. Right? Sometimes it's a burden to love one another. Sometimes there are people that just drive you crazy. Maybe I'm that person in your life that drives you crazy. That's okay. Because, guys, we're all working towards the same goal. And that's to follow Jesus Christ and to make it to heaven. So we can put those things aside and say, yeah, okay. 
So you're not a Cowboys fan. That's okay. But I still love you as a brother and sister in Christ. So, so we live in this tension, right? We, we live in this, in this kind of gray area, because we know that life is all about gray areas, between what we're aspiring to be and where we're really at. And, and those are two different things, right? Because there's always this ideal picture that you have in your mind, right? And in an ideal world, we all love each other and everything is perfect and we never fight and our kids are perfect and they do everything we tell them to do. But let's just be honest, I've got enough kids to know that's not the way it goes. But it's the same way in the church. But guess what, guys? We're all we've got. So we have to find ways to make it work. So this is, this, is, this is what I was talking about earlier, and this is called the relationship map. And I want to talk to parents, and then I'm going to talk to everybody. Parents, I want to urge you to, to, to make this map. Or you can just do this on a piece of paper. Or I can send this to you either way. I want to encourage you to put your child in the center, where they should be. And then what I want you to do is I want you to think of eight adults in their lives. Eight adults. So what you're going to do is you're going to put the name of that adult, and then you're going to score that person. And I don't care how you score them. You come up with that on your own. One to five, one to ten. How invested is this person in not only helping raise my child, so to speak, but how invested are they in pointing them to Jesus? And that's what the score is all about. And then it's the how. How can I facilitate that growth between this person that I would like my child to emulate and where my child is at right now? Now, this is why I said I'm going to speak to parents and I'm going to speak to everybody because it doesn't have to be a child. This can be you, right? I can put my name in the middle. I can put Aaron instead of your child. And then I'm going to fill in eight people in my life that I would like to emulate or that I think could help me be a better parent, a better father, or a better Christian. Where are they at now, and how can I help to facilitate that? Because, see, we have to, we, we have to be the person that takes charge of our life and our faith, right? So let's say I use Glenn as an example. Let's say I want to be more like Glenn, okay? So I'm going to put Glenn on here, and I'm going to put his score on there of, of how much he's poured into my life at this point. And then the how is I'm going to go to him and say, Glenn, I love the way you quote scripture, and I want to be able to do that too. So tell me how you do it. How did you get so good at that? Do you have a photographic memory? Do you just repeat things over and over until it kind of clicks? How did you get so good at quoting scripture? Because see, relationships, right, are a two-way street. If I just sit back and wait for him to come knock on my door and say, hey, I bet you'd like to learn how to memorize scripture, it's not going to happen. I have to be the one to go to him. So as we're building our circle, right, as we're building these people in our lives that are going to help us be closer to Jesus Christ, we have to make the effort to go to that person and say, look, I really admire this about you, and I want to know how you do it. And see, that's where the how comes in. And again, this is just something thrown together on, on PowerPoint. You can make this at home. You can screenshot it, whatever you want to do. But I want to encourage you, even if you don't take the time to actually fill this out, I want to encourage you to think through this. 
who are the people in my life that are pouring into me and that are helping me to be more like Jesus? Maybe you're part of the Wednesday night Bible study. Maybe it's people from that group. Maybe it's people from the Sunday morning worship service that are part of that group. Maybe it's your youth minister. Maybe it's your family's minister. Whatever it may be, think through this. Who are the people in my life that are helping me to be more like Jesus? And once you get this filled out, how do you expand that circle? How do you go from 8 to 16 to 32 to 64? I can't do math on top of that. How do I make that work? Because guess what? You can never have too many people pouring into your life in a positive way and helping point you back to Jesus. You'll never have too many. So how do we do that? How do we just keep expanding that circle? And that's what we're talking through and working through now. But you got to put yourself out there, like I just said, if you want to grow. We give our kids the greatest chance to build resilient faith as the number of people on that page increases. We talked about this a few minutes ago when we were going through statistics, right? And, and one of the things that the resilient disciples had in common is they had adults from their church pouring into their lives. And what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like for you because it's going to be different for everybody. But I want to encourage you, if you're an adult, take the time and find a way to mentor one of our young people in this church. And I can help you do that. You don't necessarily just have to sit down and have a Bible study with them. But what's something you're good at? Maybe you like to work on cars. Invite one of our youth group boys over to work on the car with you. And spend that time speaking life into that kid. It doesn't have to be a Bible sermon. Share with them, invest in them, get to know them, pour into their lives. Maybe you like to bake. Invite one of the kids from the church over to make pies or, or brownies or cookies or whatever you like to do and spend that time speaking into their life. It doesn't have to be a sermon. It doesn't have to be a Bible lesson. Speak into their lives. Tell them your story. Tell them how you came to know Jesus. One of the most powerful things you can do for someone to point them to Jesus is tell them your story. And be brutally honest with them. Tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. But that's how you can pour into people's lives. It doesn't have to be just sitting down with a Bible. That's great. That's important. But there's so much more to mentoring and building relationships than just that. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is exactly what we're talking about with these intergenerational relationships. Because see, Paul, right, taught Timothy. And Timothy shared that with others so that the others can share it with others. And that's what it's all about. Share the things that you've learned. Share the things that have made you have a good relationship with Jesus Christ with somebody else so that they can share it with somebody else so that they can share it with somebody else. 
Because that's the design, right? Jesus shared it with the apostles. Why did he share it with the apostles? So they could just take it home with them and sit on it? No, he shared it with the apostles so that they could share it with others who would then share it with others. And that's how the gospel has spread. And here we are 2,000 some years later, right? And we're still talking about the same thing. So be that person. Be that person that teaches what you've learned to somebody else so they can teach it to somebody else. And that's how we keep it going. Because guess what? If we don't teach our kids who's going to, if we want to ensure the next generation of our church, where does it start? It starts with the next generation of people coming through the, through the doors. It starts with our kids. That's the reason I work in youth ministry is because I know that there's a need and I see the importance of building up the next generation so that we can ensure that the next generation of Christians builds this resilient faith that we've been talking about. Titus 2, 2 through 4. And we're actually going to continue farther than that, but the first, the first two verses are on this first screen. It says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in their faith. Why is that? So they can share it with others. As we continue with verse 3, it says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Again, it's all of our responsibilities to teach not just the teachers and the preachers and the elders. It doesn't say that. It says everyone should be teaching the next generation. Verse 4 says, Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Pointing people to Jesus is more than just quoting scriptures. When we teach the next generation how to love their husbands and their wives and their children, we are helping to show Jesus to them. Because that's what Jesus teaches us to do. Let's continue. Verses 5 and 6 says, To be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. It says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Again, we're talking about this generation to generation. Let's look at 7 and 8. And to me, this is probably the most powerful part of this message. It says, in everything, set them an example. You can tell your kids or your friends or your family all you want. But if you don't show them that, you might as well save your breath. You've got to set the example for the next generation. It says, by doing what is good in your teaching, show integrity. Right? Again, that goes back to setting the example, showing integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Do you want to build a relationship with someone that you don't have respect for? Probably not. 
Do you want to invest in relationships with those who are not on the same path that you're on, that are not helping you point back to Jesus? Probably not. But set an example, show integrity, so that they have nothing to say bad about us. Think about that for just a second. If we could truly do that as a church, as Christians, if we could truly be in a place where they can say nothing bad about us, how amazing would that be? And how many doors would that open, us, open up for us to have these relationships and be able to teach others and teach one another? People are asking. These are the questions that people today are asking. They're asking, am I loved? Am I loved? Kids are asking, do my parents really love me? All right? Spouses are asking, does my spouse really love me? And what are we all asking? Does God love us? And we know the answer to that is a resounding yes. But are we teaching that to everyone that we encounter? Who are my real friends? Again, I'm not just talking about associates or acquaintances. I'm talking about who are my real friends, the ones that know that I'm a Jesus follower and want to help me down that road. And does anyone care about me? We must provide answers in and through Jesus Christ to these questions. Because we know, as Christians... Am I loved? Absolutely. Because God loves me no matter what I do. He may not like all the things that I do, but he loves me no matter what, and there's nothing that I can do to make him love me any less. Nothing. Who are my real friends? Again, if we're pointing people to Jesus, we've got the family of God. And the last question, does anyone care about me? And we know the answer to that question because we know that Jesus Christ cares about each and every one of us and hopefully we're showing that to others. But as the church, we have the ability to answer these questions for people. But it comes through building those relationships. Church has an amazing opportunity, as I mentioned, to address the epidemic of isolation and mistrust. We can counteract the effects of this world, but we have to be willing to do it. We have to keep teaching the next generation that all this nonsense that they're hearing out in the world is not God's plan, but we can do it through Jesus and by continually pointing them back to Jesus. But we have to do it. We have the roadmap, right? We have the life of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Bible. We have the tools, but are we doing it? That's the question. Are we doing it? Because we can, but we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about our relationships, and we have to be intentional about sharing Jesus with not only the next generation, but our current generation for those that don't know Jesus. Next week, we'll continue this idea of building relationships. And I know that this lesson was a little bit different, But I think it's important that we lay this groundwork about intentional relationships. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity today to change that. You have an opportunity to be baptized, 
for the remission of your sins and to gain the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've been a habitual churchgoer or even a nomad and you want to recommit yourself to Jesus Christ and you need the help of our church, you need the help of our our preachers and our teachers here on staff, or you just need prayer. In just a moment, Brandon's going to come up and sing another song and you will have the opportunity to come forward and do that. And if you're watching online, please don't hesitate to reach out to us here at the church. We are still here for you. We will pray with you. We can have you come up to the church if you need to be baptized. The church is not closed. We are still the church, and we're still doing God's work. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. Whether you're here in the auditorium or whether you're watching online, it is just great to be able to continue to be together, whether it be here in person or in that virtual space. Would you please bow with me in a word of closing prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this opportunity that we had to come here this morning to just focus on you and all of the things that you've done for us. And Heavenly Father, help us to truly think about the relationships that we have in our lives. Help us think about ways that we can increase that sphere of influence that we have and how we can increase that circle of people who are continually pouring into our lives and helping us to get closer and closer to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you most of all for all of the many blessings that you've given us and for sending your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome in power. Our God. Our God. And if our God is for us, Then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? What could stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God.